This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. In this episode, we have a conversation with Sylvan Ellison, husband, father, skier, business person, and founder of a new nonprofit based near Vail, Colorado, that is dedicated to helping athletes from families in need pursue their athletic dreams. That nonprofit is the Fjellbarn Fund. For those non-Norwegian speakers out there, Fjellbarn is Norwegian for mountain child. Our conversation with Ellison was recorded on September 10th. Along with learning about the inspiration for his nonprofit work, we'll get some insight into how Ellison's ski career informs his coaching with the Ski and Snowboard Club Vale. Sylvan Ellison, am I pronouncing that proper, properly? You got it, yep. Okay, where are you based and how old are you? Um, right now I'm based in Edwards, Colorado, just about 15 miles uh, west of Vale. I've been living here now since uh, 2009, since I graduated from Bates College. Are you, I'm presuming, well into your, not well into your 30s, but like, say, mid-30s at this point? 31. Oh, you're still, you're a youngin'. Yeah, I'm a spring chicken, Okay, and the father of, I think, uh, one child. One child, yeah, Ryder Ellipson. Okay, how old? He is, uh, let's see, almost 22 months now. All right. Keeping you busy? Oh, man. He he does not sit still, but if uh, I guess if you know his mother and I, that is to be no surprise. You were obviously all over the ski scene up until a few years back. And for people who maybe are unfamiliar with your name, give a little brief intro, or not even a brief intro, just dive deep into... Um, your background with Nordic skiing. Yeah, so I uh, I started Nordic skiing kind of late, actually, in high school when I was a sophomore, and a buddy of mine told me it was a great way to, to cross-train for soccer. So I was like, yeah, I'll definitely do that. So I, I actually did Ski Meister my first year, and I actually won Ski Meister but having a lot better Nordic results than I did Alpine. Uh, so I switched over to Nordic full-time my junior year of high school, and from there it kind of just took off. I had some good results my junior year and then made junior nationals my first year. So that was uh, pretty exciting for me. And then, you know, having such good results kind of uh, pave a way to more commitment. So I uh, had a great senior year of high school. I actually uh, applied to Bates College before I even had some of my best results when I was in high school, making Scando Cup and then being uh, All-American at junior nationals that year. So... I got beat out by Matt Gelso and Simi Hamilton at a Truckee wow. Junior Junior Olympics. That's still fresh in my mind. Yeah, I went to went to Bates and Bates College out in Maine, um, 2006 to 2009, and then uh, had a good college career out there. I uh, I won a couple couple carnivals out there. I was the first first Bates athlete to ever win. Uh, for, sorry, first Bates Nordic skier to win a uh, a carnival, so that was pretty exciting. And then it was my uh, it was my college coach Becky, and along with my uh, my old coach Dan Wyland and uh, Carl Herktel at the time, who uh, convinced me to come back to Vale and train full time and kind of go for uh, the professional thing. So 
I tried it out in 2000, uh, let's see, the 2009-2010 season. Just started going to super tours and kind of random races here and there. And I had some decent results. And I think I got my first uh, glimpse of a podium uh, my first year racing on the super tour, or must have been the second year. And then kind of from there, it just it just kind of kept propelling itself. And you know, I let's see, I. I won it. I started winning a couple Super Tours, and then I made my first World Cup in 2012, uh, being the Super Tour leader. And I think by the end of my career, I raced 24 World Cups. I think it was. Um, I was third at uh, national championships in the skate race in 2012, and then and then ended up winning in 2014 the 30k. So I guess those were kind of the highlights of my career. Won the Boulder Mountain Tour three times. Um, I really wanted to win the Berkey, but that was that was a little bit more than I I could get. So maybe someday. I'm barely on social media. A bit of a voyeur on on like say Instagram. You guys all look pretty fit. Like you could go bust out like a 50k. And- yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If you looked at me now, you might say that I probably already peaked. Well, yeah, I'm lucky. I got I got a wife who who uh, won't not let me get out the door every day. So I'm, I'm lucky to have that, too. So, I, you know, I'm curious, kind of going back a bit and, you know, starting skiing as a sophomore um, or later, or, or maybe you, it was a, your junior year of high school, but certainly it seems like you hear about kids that are lifelong skiers. You know, they've been racing or you know having fun on skis slash training since they were say 10 or even younger yeah um what type of benefit did you come to the sport with you know having everything be a bit new at that sort of i don't don't want to say advanced age but certainly at an older age than comparative you know most kids maybe entering the sport yeah well you know it's that's such an interesting topic for me right now because i've had uh, I've talked to a lot of parents about this, and I'm, I, I honestly, it's so hard for me uh, because r- right now, because Nordic skiing in the U.S. has progressed so much, I don't know that someone, I don't know that someone could start skiing when I did and have as much success as I did, um, and I still think that if you want to to be a very successful Nordic skier, I think you do have to start at an earlier age than what I did, um, you know, to at least kind of get, like, the juices going, kind of almost start uh, somewhat more of a base um, training than, than what I did. But, you know, that being said, I think the advantage that I had when I was a Nordic skier and starting so late was that I I never experienced burnout at whatsoever, you know? Like, every every year of my Nordic skiing career, like was always, it was always better. You know, like the only, the only year I ever had a setback was, uh, like in 2013 where I didn't, I, I skied fall world cups and then my, the results, the, the rest of the year were meh, you know, but then my 2014 year was like the best year I'd ever had. So then, you know, it was always this upward trajectory where I feel like, you know, when you're, when you've been doing it for so long, when you started, you know, when you start young, you know, you have as if you're not having fun with it, you have a tendency to burn out. So I think that's that's you know another thing we can talk about. I'm a I I coach five to twelve year olds, and that's one of the huge focuses of my of my training group is that we you know we we really have fun with it, 
I want to make the connection between having fun and being on skis rather than, especially at that age, than to, you know, be, you know, making sure that they're going out for, you know, an hour ski in the morning and then recovering properly. Like it's, it's all got to be fun at that point. You know, a parent might say like, well, you guys are just playing games and why aren't you out there skiing? Yeah. All right. How do you explain that? Like by playing, you know, sharks and minnows, they actually can learn how to skate ski quite well. Um, you know, how do you have to navigate that? Sort of oh, yeah. terrain in a place like Vale, where not that like elite athletes are a dime a dozen, but it's hard probably not to cross paths with very fit folks. Oh yeah, absolutely, and not only fit folks, but like fit parents who, um, you know, who grew up, you know, probably racing or, or competing some way. You know, they want <clears throat> to. A lot of parents, you know, look at Nordic skiing. You know that you know it's it's a great sport to teach athletically but it's also or being a nordic skier also requires great like work ethic and i think that's almost more important to a lot of these parents than the athletic component of it is you know having a kid who is like is gritty you know and doesn't mind like working really hard for something you know so you know when when you know parents see us you know go and play sharks and minnows you know and doing stuff like that I, I explained to him exactly kind of what I just said to you is this, you know, you at this age, you have to make it fun. And if you don't make it fun, that, you know, that's that's OK. If you want to go find a different program, that's that's OK with me. But this is this is my experience. And this is kind of what we I've lined out with the director, um, Dan Wyland. And that's kind of. You know, this is the trajectory we want. So, if kids want to jump into uh, into a more competitive group, they have that option with Ski Club Vale. And my program is it's it is with Ski Club Vale. It's just kind of the, you know, it's it's called our Future Stars um, program, and it's five to twelve years old. But you know, a lot of the youngest kids in the competitive program, Ski Club Vale, are you know start. Uh, as U8s or U10s even. So it's uh, you have choices, certainly, you know, and I certainly push the fun side of things, and I definitely make it clear to the parents that, you know, when, they, when their kids show up, we're going to be having a good time, and your kids are going to be wanting to come back every year. You know, not because we, all we do is just screw around and have fun, but, you know, we do things a little differently so that we're working on uh, certain specific nordic things but we're having fun with it at the same time i i haven't looked at this in a while but the program that you guys have in vale there's ski and snowboard club vale i think i just got that right but there's also like a and i think it's a it's a public school but it has sort of a winter sports focus is that right yeah it's it is unbelievable and i still don't quite understand exactly how it works but um it is a publicly funded school um, that is attended by uh, Ski Club Vail athletes. And it's called the Vail Ski and Snowboard Academy. The school is great, and it's located right... It, I mean, you can walk out the back door, and you're literally right on our ski trails, you know? And not just any ski trails. It's where, like, we've hosted uh, regional championships for for the Western, the Western schools and universities. And it's uh, so it's not on the golf course. It's is it up by Minturn or something? No, 
Yeah, it's, it's okay. a Minturn. Yep, exactly. I know there's a really good like expensive steak restaurant in Minturn or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> there's a the Minter. They call it the Minturn Country Club. Uh, no, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Do your athletes that you're coaching are they all at that type of school or is it still a mixed bag when they're younger? It's a mixed bag when they're younger, and you know we they are we obviously. Uh, you know, that, that academy specifically caters to skiers. So, you know, there's, there's times of the year, especially the winter where they'll have, uh, most of the morning off to train and recover and then, uh, go to school from, I, I can't remember ex- the exact hours, but from 11 to five or six instead. So it, it caters to that. But again, it's, it's unique in the sense that it's a publicly funded school. It's not a private school like Stratton or Burke. You know, it, it's very much a public school. So here's another question just on this whole sort of year, because I think you obviously have a unique outlook. Having come to the sport late, how do you manage, you know, you're a dad yourself. So how do you think about this as a parent? How do you think about this being in a place like Vail? Managing like this whole well-roundedness type piece. When I hear your story, I think, oh, you know, yeah, that seems to be the model the healthy model, you know, the kid that maybe comes to the sport late, but it had been exposed to certainly alpine skiing, certainly soccer, I'm assuming some running thrown in there. And then, you know, has the aptitude to excel as a Nordic skier. While at the same time, there's a lot of buzz about the development pipeline. And my presumption is it's easier to tap into the pipeline if you're already in the pipeline, rather than you know, via some artery when you're like a sophomore or junior in high school. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What is your view on this whole, like, specialization versus really well-roundedness piece? <laughs> it's, I, I don't know, it's such a hard uh, thing for me, to be honest, because I I think deep down inside, I know that... Um, you know, I think that if there's a kid from the U.S. that wants to be an Olympic champion someday, I think that he or she needs to kind of be exposed to that at an earlier age and probably at an earlier age than I would prefer, you know, to put Ryder into that. You know, because I, I don't know, as a father now, you, you definitely see things differently and I can see how, you know, there are certain parents who, um, you know, really would love to see their kids do that. But I, the way that Sarah and I are trying to raise Ryder is, you know, the way that I remember being raised where, you know, you kind of pick and choose, you know, as, as things go on. And, you know, if, if Ryder wants to play soccer in the fall and then he wants to be a Nordic skiing during the winter, like we're, we will honor that. Absolutely. You know, and, but if he wants to, if he really loves skiing like so much that um, we can, you know, he it kind of seems like he's maybe wanting to go that route, then yeah, we'll we'll absolutely support that. But there is, I guess, I do believe that if if an athlete is to make it to the top, I I, I do think that that starting at a younger age is is important, and I'd say especially now with. Nordic skiing becoming as as popular and as um, successful in the U.S. as it has. So one of the things also, you know, and I I do, for better and for worse, I I have to, I I cover a lot of the criteria stuff in the sport. Yeah. 
That said, obviously in doing background research on you, what pops up is Sochi in 2014. And, you know, by many metrics, it's like you were a no brainer for selection. But there seemed to be like a hard line drawn in terms of the number of athletes taken, which I think yeah. was 14 total. Yeah. And you had just won the 30K yeah. uh, skate, I believe, at Nationals. Yeah. And here's a quote. I'm going to read this. They did, a, you know, Faster Skier did an article on sort of after the Olympics about how things unfolded. And yeah. you're, where's the quote here? Okay. You, you did not make the team. And, and I guess they must have announced via email on a Tuesday. So you said, this is you speaking or quoted, Tuesday was probably the longest day of my life. Okay. Yeah. So not to bring up old wounds, but you, you get, you get the email that you probably did not want. But, you know, looking back in hindsight now, um, how do you perceive that day and that time? Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's so it's so hard to compare to anything else. Um, you know, when when you have something define you for as long as Nordic skiing defined me, you know, and, and work so hard at something uh, just for it to all of a sudden disappear so quickly um, is really hard. And I don't think I ever really led on to as actually as hard as it was because that's not the kind of person I am. And I kind of, you know, you ask anyone, especially the, you know, like the, I, I went and skied World Cups with all, with that entire team two weeks after they left Sochi, you know, and I was with Chris Grover again, who had, you know, sent me the email telling me I had made the team. And, you know, so I, it was, it was extremely hard for me um, to kind of go through that because of how it had defined me. And I guess how I had perceived my results to be that year. And I totally, totally get criteria, and I understand why it's in place. I think that was really hard for me because it just frustrated me to see the guys who who went to the Olympics and how fairly consistently I had been beating some of them, especially in that longer distance leading up to it. So I think that was really hard for me. You know, it's like, you know, I, I just remember the crossing the finish line at, in the 30K, and I just knew that I had done, like, everything I possibly could have to, to make it that year. And I knew that if I wanted any chance whatsoever, too, that I'd need to win the 30K. And then, uh, you know, to hear that we weren't bringing everyone was tough. And then I think, with, honestly... This year, what even this year at the at the Olympics this year, which was even tougher, was to see the size of the team that they took. And again, like I, I would love to go to the Olympics and compete. I definitely would not have wanted to go to the Olympics just for the experience. That's not why I ever wanted to do it. I was disappointed to see at the size of the team they took this year that it was just so much different. Than what it was, and I I can't remember exactly why it was bigger. I'm sure it had to do with the success that and the spots we were allotted. But filling everything this year was, you know, a, certainly a change from the Sochi Olympics. So I just I was bummed that I kind of fell on the that side of it. But was that sort of your first like holy crap disappointment? 
up to that point? Oh yeah, totally. I didn't really, I didn't really know what a lot. You know, it's <laughs> it. This sounds funny, but like I, anything that I've ever been good at, I've kind of stuck with. And all of a sudden, it's like you know, you stuck with being you know pretty good at something for such a long time then, and then all of a sudden. Um, you keep achieving like goal after goal. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd reset my goals every year, and I kept like I kept hitting them and kept hitting them. And even even if I thought I was like, you know, setting kind of ridiculous goals, I was still hitting them. And I that was the trajectory that my coach, that Dan and I were trying to make to make it to the Olympics. And you know, yeah, it was it was certainly hard like getting the news that all of a sudden it's like. Boom, done. You know, like you get the email, you're not going to the Olympics. That's it. And for me, it wasn't like I, I, um, you know, I decided that that year was going to be the last year, whether I made the Olympics or not. You know, and that's just that's because I, you know, <laughs> I'm living in a place that requires a little bit more income than what I was making as a Nordic skier. So. You know, I I I knew I was going to be done, but I didn't want it to finish like that. And I think that was ultimately the hardest thing was that I'd I'd done everything I I'd wanted to up till that point, and then that was kind of the last. Do you feel like that experience? I mean, I'm just, and this will be my last, and I'll move on to other topics after this. I'm curious though, as you know, as a parent myself, do you feel like your experience kind of better? Does it better inform you? In terms of how you approach, like... Oh, yeah. Everything. Oh, everything. Okay. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, that's... I This is it, this is just who I am. Like, I always take that experience, you know. Just like I took the experience of, like, the death of my dad when I was 11. Like, I, I like to turn really terrible experiences into something that motivates me. So that's that's exactly what, what I did with that. And, uh, you know, I think it, it made me want to, you know, <laughs> I, I, I moved on from like job to job to job after that because, you know, it wasn't exactly what I wanted. I wasn't doing exactly what I wanted to until now, I guess now where I am. So, so let's, yeah, actually, so I want to talk about your new endeavor, but like from a day to day beyond like being a dad, beyond being a dad and being an amazing husband, as I'm sure you are. Uh, um, yeah, how do you, what are you up to in Edwards or Vale? Yeah, so I, um, right now I'm running a property management business. So I take me and my business partner, we, we just manage, um, people's second homes that live in our valley. And it's, uh, you know, when you come from a place like Vale, it's, uh, a very lucrative business. And we, we like really strive on, keeping our clients happy and you know we're very trustworthy people and it you know that makes for a, a good business here so and yeah go ahead well i was gonna say I, so that's my 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 nine to five and then on top of that i coach uh the future stars nordic team for ski club Vale, and so that's five to twelve year olds and that that's every monday wednesday friday from november to march and then in March, I start coaching uh, high school girls soccer with my 
my former high school coach and a mentor of mine. His name is Bob Bandoni. And then oh, cool. basically what I call now my lunchtime job is uh, is running this new nonprofit we just started, the Fjellbarn Fund. I also, well, I was going to say, I, I also sit on the board of trustees for Ski Club Vale as well um, as kind of the, the athlete member, director of the group. So, yeah, what was the impetus for it? And I want to pronounce this proper, properly, Fjellbarn Fjellbarn Fund. Do I have that right? Yeah, you okay. got it. Nailed it. Yep. And it's new. Well, I nailed it on the third try. And it's it's Norwegian for mountain child. Yes. So, what was the inspiration for for, for you folks to start this fund, and, and what is the primary mission of it? Yeah. Well, so so my brother and I. My brother uh, is four years younger than, than me. His name is Shell. So it's spelled K J E L L. And we had talked a long time ago about wanting to to help athletes in the valley, in the Vale Valley, and also commemorate our father, um, who who died when I was eleven and my brother was seven. And my dad was he was a huge part of our community. Um, you know, I it's it's awesome because I almost every day get to meet someone or talk to someone who who tells me how great you know my mom and dad were and you know, how friendly my dad was and how, you know, that he made an impact on their life. And so we wanted to co- kind of commemorate some, him somehow. He helped start the U.S. mountain running team, and he's a very, you know, anytime you mention running in Vail, I think a lot of people thought of my dad. So, you know, growing up in Vail is, it's kind of a tough thing because, you know, I think there's a lot of assumption that there's a lot of wealth in Vail, which there is, but as we all know, there's a lot of working families that exist in, in resort towns as well. And those, you know, those are my folks. So we didn't we didn't have a ton of money growing up, but we we certainly had my brother and I were really fortunate to have the support we did from the community after my father passed away. You know, we had, you know, people help pay for for flights or for for events or for equipment, you know, all sorts of stuff. So we wanted to pay it back to the community a little bit by by starting this fund. And, you know, Shell and I both received a lot of help through local uh, charities and nonprofits as well that kind of did the same, kind of did a similar thing to what we're doing, like the Vail Valley Foundation and the Vail Rec District. But no organization that is was just specific to helping athletes financially, you know. And when you grow up in a town like Vail, you know you're exposed to so many amazing options for being outdoors and for either competing or just playing in the outdoors. You know, whether it's biking or skiing or you know soccer or you know lacrosse or whatever. There's a ton of kids that are here, but. The reason that we started it was because I actually brought this to the attention of one of my very, my, actually it was my first, my first sponsor ever when I got out of college, John Cummins. He's a local business, small business owner, and I think I met him once, and then two weeks later, I told I told him what I was doing, and he wrote me a check, just out of the blue. Like I, I know I didn't really know this guy. He had no idea really probably how good 
or bad of a Nordic skier I was at the time, but just wanted to help because I think he saw that I was passionate about what I wanted to do. And so he wrote me my first check for like two or three grand. And I was like, wow, you know, like that's, that's awesome. I would love to be able to help people out that way. So it was last spring. I met with him, told him that, you know, Shell and I were interested in doing something like this and I would love for him to be a part of it. So we founded the Fjellbarn Fund, John, Shell and I on, uh, I think it was December 27th, 2017. You know, like who can or who cannot apply for support? Uh, so pretty much everyone that's in definite financial, I guess any any family or individual that is struggling financially to make it happen um, when it comes to athletics, you know, whether it's a program fee or equipment or whatever, can apply. And we have uh, a board of directors that are made up of five of us. And we we uh, we go through the applications. We rank the the athletes or the families on a need basis. Um, I guess we kind of rank them to see who is in the most in need. And you know, it's a pretty in depth application process. And you can you can check it out too if you want. It's on our our website if you click on the application. So we wrote the application knowing that there are probably families here in the valley that might also think that they're that they're struggling a little bit financially but you know they might have a a camper or a boat or you know a second home somewhere which is you know that's fine that's absolutely fine but you know we're we're really out to help the athletes who really need it the most and we also really want to support the athletes that come from Vale that are wanting to make it to the pinnacle of their sport what do you see in terms of both like say uh, socioeconomic diversity in terms of interest in like say Nordic sport in a place like Vale. Oh, it's huge. Uh, you know, I, like the socioeconomic gap here is is massive. You know, we have the richest of the rich people, you know, coming to their multi-million-dollar homes in you know in Vale or in Edwards or in Avon, literally five minute drive away are the poorest of the poor people you know and and what you see in a valley like ours right now is that it what it's been doing is driving up a lot of the cost of real estate so a lot of the working class families are being forced further and further down valley so the commute to these areas is getting getting longer and longer so a lot of families have been moving to eagle or gypsum you know which is you know 30 minutes away and there's a lot of uh ethnic diversity in our our valley too you know we have we have some very transient people you know that come and and come work for a couple seasons for Vail resorts and then leave you know so there has to be a lot of um temporary employee housing then there's people that want to like stay and then for those people who want to stay you know, and like maybe start a family and do something like that. That's where it starts to get really tough. And that's where people have to start looking further down Valley. Cause I don't know anyone that can afford six or $700,000 condo in Vail. That's one bedroom, one bathroom and 600 square feet and hasn't had the carpet replaced in over 20 years. It's certainly an, <clears throat> an issue that the town is, I know that the town is working on right now, but 
you know, along with that, it's just a, it's a higher cost of living, you know? So, you know, people and families that live up here spend more money doing other things. And, you know, with the cost of living come, the cost increases with everything, program fees and (laughs) equipment and travel, all sorts of stuff becomes more expensive. So that's all the stuff that we're trying to help offset a little bit because, we know that there's families struggling. You know, a, a big part of this was me asking a lot of the parents of the Future Stars group um, that I coach, like, your, you know, your kid is doing awesome. Like, I'd love to see them if they're interested to, to jump up to a more competitive program. The, the price difference between my program and a more competitive program isn't in the budget for a, fa- like a family of four that's working class here. You know, especially if they have like two or three kids, it's like I can't go from whatever, like five hundred bucks to five thousand bucks, you know, in a single season. So, you know, if I can't do that, then my kid's just gonna ski, do high school skiing, you know, which is free. What's the reception been like? I know you guys had a goal maybe of raising upwards of fifty thousand dollars in your first funding campaign i don't know if i'm yeah. totally accurate on that yep. yeah so how's how is that all going so right now so what we did is we had a uh we didn't have a fundraising event we basically had a we had an event that we really wanted to just let people know what we were doing and john john and shell and i were really passionate about not having a fundraiser first because we wanted people to know what we were doing before people started giving us money and that's like I, I know I, cu- I could have probably gone out and been like, hey, guys, I'm starting this nonprofit. Here's what I want to do. You know, throw me throw me a bunch of thousands of bucks and we'll give it to some kids. But I really wanted to go about this the right way by letting letting people know what we're doing, how we're doing it and um, like what we're hoping to accomplish so that five to ten years from now, we're on like this slow trajectory of becoming a more uh, sustainable nonprofit for what our purpose is. And I think that's just going to take time, and we're fine with that because we, like right now, none of us are being paid. Every single dollar that goes into this fund is either, it's either going straight to the kids that we allocate it to or it's going to buying bouquets of flowers for our wives for letting us be away for such long periods of time <laughs> working on this stuff so it's like it i know it's going to take some time but we're okay with that you know we want it to be a slow start we're hoping to raise lots of money in years to come i i think it's more important to set a higher goal than to set a lower goal so you know fifty thousand dollars is certainly on the on the high end and we have definitely had a lot of people interested in helping us but what again what we wanted to do with this first event was we wanted to bring people there we brought we had open bar we had food we had entertainment and then we just talked about what we were doing and how we were going to do it so people could feel good about what they were giving to yeah i'm just like how might you guys define success in the future yeah as a found as a fund, yeah, as a foundation, because I, you know, I wrote down some questions that I'm like, in hindsight, they're probably a little bit premature, but things like, you know, do you guys foresee this as a template for other mountain communities that are also experiencing? You know, I think of like Crested Butte, you know, Aspen. Yeah. I mean, Bend yeah. 
to a certain extent, you know, that are all experiencing these economic pressures that people face because it's a great place to live. Yeah. So like, how might you guys measure success? You know, I, I don't think we'll ever measure success monetarily. I think we'll measure success by the amount of athletes that we are able to help because I think in the end, if we can have a kid come back to us in, you know, 20 years and be like, hey, the, re- the reason that I was able to uh, to do all this was because of you guys. Um, you know, I think that that is going to be what will make us most happy as a friend. Well, I really anything else you want to add? The, I think one of the biggest components of what we're doing is all the athletes that receive funding are required to give back to the community somehow. And I actually learned that from one of my biggest sponsors in the arena when I was ski racing. And it was such a cool component. I loved it so much that I really wanted to incorporate it into what we did. Uh, so the the athletes every year will have a have a way that they can uh, that they can give back to the community, whether it's through community service or we us as a fund will also put on an event every year with a local charity or or other nonprofit that's you know helping the community in some way where our athletes that we've supported can either go to that event or they can, um, you know, if they obviously can't make it because of a sporting event or something else they have going on, they can just kind of report it to us. But I, I feel like, you know, when you're receiving money from your community, you've got to give back to your community. And I think that that helps grow the community. Yeah, I think that's always a good, it's a good template for kids, you know, sort of yeah. give back a bit. Thanks again, and best of luck um, with your fundraising. Yeah, thanks so much, man. All right, have a great day. You too. See you, Jason. Thanks for listening, and you can learn more about the Fjellbarn Fund at fjellbarnfund.org. That's F-J-E-L-L-B-A-R-N fund.org. Thanks. Thanks.